Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. I want to talk to you this morning, backing up on Georgie's word. We've been talking about the prophetic word, double. And, uh, and we've been talking about the anointing of God's spirit. So the anointing is the ability of God. It's God's power at work within our lives. We've been talking about the whole call and responsibility that we have from God as believers that God will one day come back as the parable of the talents. And he'll say, what did you do with what I gave to you? And uh, the wicked servant buried his in the ground. And, uh, and he gave back only that which was originally given to him. So there is an expectation in heaven that what God has entrusted you with, that when he returns, you've collected interest and you've seen it multiply in your life. That means we've got to do something with the information that we've received. And this morning, I really feel to back up Georgie's word last week because he explained to us out of an illustration of his own life as a recent Christian that God's method of multiplication is discipleship. And discipleship, as we're going to see this morning, is simply uh, being a follower of Jesus. It's simply following him. It's being a learner. It's, it's, it's allowing God to input things into your life and put them into practice. And so often, Western Christianity is guilty of Greek mythology and the Greek way of thinking, which is that knowledge is all we need. And so we acquire knowledge, we learn the Bible, we can quote scriptures, but we're not putting into practice what Jesus asked us to do. And, uh, and we see that was Jesus' method when he chose the 12. Not only did he teach them and train them, but he put them out on the streets and he sent them out into towns and cities. And then he said, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you power. When you come across sick people, you can make them well. When you come across those that need help, you can input into their lives because all of us have good works prepared in advance for us to do as followers of Jesus. And so they became action people. They became men and women of action. Have you ever, oh, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever been given a job to do, but you, the instructions were pretty fuzzy? And so you did what you kind of thought they, they thought you meant to do. And then you discover that you've just spent a whole day and the boss comes back and says, no, 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 that's not what I wanted you to do. And you suspected as you were doing it during the day that it may, it was probably not the right thing. Or you're kind of just left to yourself and you're kind of fuddling your way through things, hoping that you're doing your best, but you've never really had anyone on the job to actually show you how to do it. You know, uh, how would you feel if you're going to build your first house? The banker said yes. 
They said, this is how much you've got to spend. You go to the architect, you go to the builders, and you go to the landscapers, and you work out all your costs, and then the day comes, the builder comes on site, and he begins to build your house. But you notice something terrifying, that every time he picks up a new tool, he suddenly gets out his tablet and starts up a YouTube video to see how he's supposed to do it. <laughs> and he's building your house. How disconcerting would that be? And yet, here's the, here's the allegory, many in Christianity have never been shown how to walk and follow Jesus properly. I don't know how many believers I've met over the last 30 years as a pastor who are pulling their hair out because they love God, but nobody's ever discipled them. Nobody's ever got alongside of them. So they've really been discipled by pastor's sermons on a Sunday and just trying to kind of make their way through. You know, does anyone relate to that this morning? And so today I want to talk to you about the five stages of discipleship. And today you're... And, you know, with a stage, there are characteristics and traits at each stage, and probably this morning, you're going to be able to quite clearly identify where you're at. He said, well, don't judge me, Pastor James. You can't put me in a category. Don't you put me in a box. You know, you can't do that to me. Well, look, I'm not putting you into a category, but listen to this. This is what Jesus said. He said, you can actually mark how well you're doing by two things. The fruit that's growing on the tree in your life and the words that are coming out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so as we go through this today, the purpose of this message is so you can get a marker today. And hopefully you can also be inspired today to get to the ultimate goal on your diagram that you hold on your hands today of being a spiritual parent Somebody who's seen the multiplication of God working and ministering in through their life in the name of Jesus. So what's a disciple? This is what Jesus said. In Matthew 4 verse 19, he said to the disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Three things, very clear. Follow me is the head. It's you making a decision. If you look at all the things that Jesus talked about following him, he also talked about counting the cost and making a decision, a conscious decision that you're going to become a follower of Jesus. Often we categorize Christians who have, they're a Christian because they've prayed the sinner's prayer. I want to categorically oppose that view that may be a stepping point in your life, but I know many who have prayed the sinner's prayer that I wouldn't categorize as a follower of Jesus because it's one thing to pray a prayer. It's another thing to make a, a decision to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus, to give him your life, to commit your life to the ways of God and following Jesus Christ. So number one, follow me. The head is a decision. Number two, I will make you. This is the heart. This is life transformation. This is God saying, I will transform you. 
When you give your life to me, when you make a decision to be a follower of me, then I am going to commit to transforming your life from the inside out so you will be a completely unrecognizable person on the inside from the person that started this journey of following Jesus. Can anyone say an amen to that? So we've got the head, we've got the heart. And lastly, he said, I will make you fishers of men. Yes, he's talking about reaching the world, but what he's talking about is utilizing our hands, the head, the heart, and the hands to serve God for the rest of the days of our life. And as you all know, to be a good fisherman, you need to be trained by another good fisherman. Amen. And so there's a process within this uh, whole thing of discipleship. Paul wrote this when he wrote to the church at Colossae. And he said, here's the ultimate goal of heaven. And this is one of the key scriptures that we've built Faith Point on. Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim. Who's him? Jesus. Warning everyone. Well, you've got to warn them that there's a hell. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That means fully grown. And unfortunately, many are stunted in their growth because they've never been discipled correctly. They've never learned how to become mature followers of Jesus. So he's saying the goal here is I want to take you from, I want to take you from being an infant in Christ, and I want to make you into a full-grown, full-blown, mature follower of Jesus who's seeing the fruit, who's seeing the multiplication of God through their life because this is the method of reaching the world is by making disciples. So we can guarantee if we do the job properly, the world will be reached. It's not this magical formula that somehow God's going to come out of the sky and save everybody. He saves the world through you, through me. As we become followers of Christ, God works in and through us to touch those that he puts us into contact with in our life. Friends, I believe we need to grow up. I believe that we need to adopt a mature gospel not a false gospel that just presents the message of getting your ticket to get into heaven and then you can go and live however you want. That's not the gospel. The gospel is good news. The gospel means transformed lives, reaching and touching others and seeing their lives transformed by the power of God. Amen. You and I have all met them. In fact, I still, you know, now that we have Facebook, we can actually track people who we went to school with. Have you ever tried that exercise? But they're unrecognizable, and we're unrecognizable to them as the years have flown by, as you get a little bit longer in the tooth. You young ones don't need to worry about that, but us who are getting more mature, uh, it's amazing. So you catch up with them, and then you actually, you actually see that they're still doing what they were doing as teenagers. They've never grown up. They're still smoking deck. They're still doing drugs. They're still boozing every Friday night and Saturday, even, when they've, even if they've got a family. And you think, my goodness, they've never grown up. They've got stuck in a time warp. And today my message is, is that God wants to progress you. He wants to grow you. 
He wants you to be inspired towards the ultimate goal of being a spiritual parent. That's his plan for your life and for my life this morning. You remember James and John, the sons of thunder? Do you remember them? Do you remember how mature they were when the Samaritans refused to uh, welcome Jesus into their town? You know what they did? They said, shall we smoke them, Lord? They said, let's call down fire and let's burn them. Let's turn them to toast. Let's cook them. Let's call down lightning bolts of him. Very mature, boys. That's, very, that's a very mature attitude. No, we haven't come to destroy lives. We've come to save them. Amen. And Jesus, if you read in the scriptures, Jesus turned around and he rebuked them because they were thinking, oh, because they're not with us, let's smoke them. Let's waste them. <laughs> you see, the great thing about the Bible is, is that the disciples are very human and we can often see our lives in their lives. You might have been a Christian for a number of years and still you might find yourself at times doing things that you regret doing. Friends, maturity is a process. But when we commit to the process, we grow. And God grows us. And our life begins to change. And people take up. They sit up and they take notice of that change within our lives. So what did James and John need? They needed some teaching. They needed some training that it's not all about power and calling down lightning bolts from heaven. It's about love. That God is love. And that we're not to waste people, we are to save people. We are to see God's love demonstrated through their lives. So let's go through and let's, um, uh, let's have a look today as we move ahead. You know, there's, there's three parts to discipleship. There's number one, there's my part as the discipler. And so I've got to make a commitment to coming alongside those that, I, that God has led me to, to input into their lives and to see them progress in their journey and become more like Jesus. Then the second part is our part as disciples. that We've got to commit to the process. And you know, Jesus warned his disciples about casting pearls before swine. I thought, what a brutal set of words. And what he was saying is, if people are not going to commit to the process, don't give them your treasures. Make sure they've counted the cost and that you journey with them. But if you've made an appointment three weeks in a row and they've spurned you every time, then it might be time to evaluate that they may not be ready for the process. You understand where I'm coming from? And, uh, and one of the reasons why I grew so rapidly as a new believer was that I literally was called by God to go and flat with a guy who was my discipler. And, uh, and I wasn't too sure about this guy flatting with guy thing. You know, it wasn't kind of part of my world that I came from. And so um, I went to his place and, uh, and God had spoken to him. And he, so he sat me down and said, God spoke to me. I saw you in church. God showed me that there's a call of God on your life. I know you're a brand new believer. I know you don't know anything about Christianity. And I believe that God's called me to disciple you. And so, he, and so I said, oh, I'm not too sure. You know, I'm quite happy having my freedom. I was living by myself in a flat. You know, when you live by yourself, there's no accountability. You can do what you want, when you want. You can slip back. It's called backsliding. I mean, 
for goodness sake, my first baptism appointment, this is how committed I was, they all turned up and I was, I was wasted smoking dope. Um, and I never bothered, well, we didn't have smartphones or telephones back then, so they all turned up for the baptism while I was high. Um, so, you know, there needed to be a little bit of work done in me in that whole process. So I'm thinking, going to live with the flat with this guy, oh, I'm going to lose my freedoms, you know, he's going to be watching me. He could see my reluctance, and so instead of him trying to convince me, he let the power of God do it. And he said, he said, James, he said, why don't we pray and let God show you right now? I said, you mean right here, right now? What's he going to do? <laughs> I'm, freak, I'm freaking out. So he prays for me, and suddenly I'm absolutely smashed under the anointing of God. I can't talk properly. I can't get up off the couch. The Holy Spirit's just invaded the room. And I'm, and I'm going, whoa, is this what this is like? You know, it was probably like, whoa, is this what this is like? <laughs> As the Holy Spirit just invaded my space and I knew I had a divine appointment to shift out of where I was and move in. And for 12 months, this man committed his life every day to disciple me in the faith. Three years later, I was pastoring my first church without ever going to Bible college because he did such a great job. And this is the power of discipleship. This is the power of multiplication. And through my life over 30 years, I can't, honestly, and it, it, it's just a reflection of what happened in me. There have literally been thousands of people that we have impacted for the kingdom of God because one man chose to do a proper job of discipling somebody else. Can you see the power in the methodology? Isn't it incredible? And so that's the first two parts. The third part is God's part. Paul wrote it like this. He said, one plants the seed. He said, I might plant the seed. Apollos, another ministry, he may water the seed. But only God can give the increase. Only God can give the increase. And so God is the change agent. He is the one when you cooperate with him, working with your discipler, and God begins to bring changes within your life. And I can remember the first time I got confronted by the Holy Spirit. I went to get a bottle of milk. You know the old glass bottles? Do you remember them? With the silver tops on them? And, uh, and I went to get a bottle of milk, and I gave the lady 10 bucks or something, and she overpaid me by 20 cents. And as I, and as I, was, as I was looked at my change and put it in my pocket and made a mental calculation, I thought, oh, she's just giving me more money. And my first thought was, oh, praise the Lord. Then <laughs> <laughs> very quickly the Holy Spirit said to me, that's not your money. And I'm going... 20 cents, God. He says, 20 cents. Is it yours, James? No, it's not. She overpaid me. Take it back. So I took it back, and this, this person, the dairy, is going to look at me cross her. You brought 20 cents back to me. You know, but it was the process of discipleship. Later on, about a year later, I had to go back to a former employee because the Holy Spirit convicted him in prayer of all the stuff I'd stolen off him as an employee. And he told me to travel five hours by car, make an appointment to go and see my old boss and confess my sins to him and offer him reparation for what I'd stolen from him. He made me sweat for five minutes. 
And I told him what I'd done, and I said, I've come, I've got some cash, and I believe this is, I've calculated how much I think I've stolen off you, and I'm here to pay it back. He said, he said wait there. I used to be called Jim back then. He said, wait there, Jim. He said, I'm just going to think about whether I'm going to call the police right now. And he made me sweat for five minutes. He just looked at me for five minutes. It was a long period of silence. And then he cracked a smile. He said, I'm just kidding. He said, you've done a good thing, boy, bringing this money back to you. And then, he, and then he did something that really insulted me. He said, but you know what? He said, I've had lots of employees steal off me. And he said, I never thought you would be one of those ones that stole off me. That stung. That stung, you know. And, and, and since then, I haven't stolen anything. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. <laughs> so... Five stages of spiritual growth. We've got spiritually dead. That's base one. Spiritually dead. There's no life of Christ in you. You haven't been saved yet. You haven't asked Christ into your life. There is no connection with you and the living God. Your spirit is dead because you haven't repented of your sins. You haven't got past base one. Stage two is when you cross the line. And you cross the line. You receive Christ into your life. You become a follower of Jesus. And that point in time, you are a spiritual infant. And then you grow out of infanthood to stage three, where the Bible calls a progress. It's a great progress. We all know there's a difference between one that's crawling around on the ground and one that gets his legs and begins to walk and becomes a child, a, a, a little child. And then there's, there's the stage where we grow out of childhood and we grow into stage four young adult life. Young adult life where we're really making, young adults really try life out. They're trying and they try life out. And they, but they want action. They want to see how this all works. They want to put it into practice. They want to try things. And then we advance to the final stage of spiritual parenthood. And so we're going to quickly go through these today. And uh, spiritually dead, level one, Ephesians says this, and you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is what it means, friends. At one, point, at one point in time, if you're here today and you've become a Christian and a follower of Jesus, you were once spiritually dead before you invited the living God to come and live inside of your body. And you were dead because of your trespasses and your sins. They cut you off from the Lord. But God made you alive. And this is the first stage that we have. And so we're going to talk about this from a disciple point of view and from the point of view of the person that's become a Christian. And so at this stage, the person may have very little spiritual interest. In fact, they, may be, they, they actually may have a lot of objections about God and whether he's real. And, and really they're saying they're an atheist, but many people who say they're atheists, they've just never really investigated Christianity or they've been taught from a young child what, uh, that, that that's the label that they have over their life. They may be in open rebellion or they must, may just be passively sitting in unbelief over their lives. And so what I'm going to do with each stage that we go through this morning is a phrase, phrases from the stage that we go through. This is a typical set of statements that people make in that stage of life, such as, I don't believe there is a God. Very common. Someone who's spiritually dead. I don't believe there is a God. Ah, oh, the Bible's just a bunch of myths. Religion's a crutch for the weak. I'm calling you weak to your face. Did you know that when they say that? 
that religion is a crutch for the weak. Or they may say, oh, there's many ways to God, not just one way. There's many ways to God. There's lots of different religions. I believe in them all. I believe they all have the same God and we all end up in the same place. I don't believe in hell. Or they'll say, look, I've been good most of my life. I'll take my chances, thanks. I think my good works will outweigh my bad ones and I'll slip through uh, the crack. So these are the kind of phrases that you'll get at stage one. But the needs that they really have at this stage is that they need to be befriended by one of us. Those who are spiritually dead, their only hope is you and I. And I say that sincerely. When God puts you in the vicinity, in the contact with someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, you are the answer for their life. And what they need is somebody that will love them and befriend, befriend them and not judge them. And begin to build a relationship with them. Don't just go in there with your spiritual gatling gun or your knife to take a scalp for Jesus and bash them and smash them over the head with your Bible and then go out saying you felt really good because you shared your faith and they're there bashed up, beat up, thinking, man, what sort of Christianity is this? <laughs> they need people who will preach the best sermons not just with their words but with their lives that's what they need they need a demonstration of what a real Christian actually looks and acts like they need to be introduced to Jesus they need to hear the gospel the word gospel means good news and when it's shared properly it is good news they need answers they all have you talk to any of the Millennials or the Gen Z's now they are full of questions they are sincerely they're not really out there just to diss you they actually genuinely want to know answers to their questions because they've actually been thinking about some things and so when we get equipped we can go in and we can begin to share at this early stage Friends, this is called pre-conversion discipleship. You are discipling them. At this point, they're not even a follower of Jesus yet, but you are their, you are their discipler. You're already building up a, a, a relationship with them in order to bring them to Jesus. And uh, John 3, verse 3 says this, Jesus speaking, I, Assuredly I say unto you, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So the whole stage that this is heading to in stage one is to share the gospel they open their lives to christ they receive jesus and they make a commitment to follow jesus at that point in time they are born again by the holy spirit and they advance to stage two of being a spiritual infant in christ jesus so that's at one to three o'clock on the wheel that you've got there um on your notes and it says here uh, in first peter like newborn infants, do you see that? Here's the Bible language. Newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by, that by it you may grow up into salvation. You ain't even got any teeth at this stage. You can't get into that massive 350 gram steak and start chewing up the meat of the word because you're not equipped to understand it at this point in time. The need of a spiritual born infant is the basics of the gospel, the forgiveness of sin, salvation, repentance from dead works, having faith towards God. These are the initial stepping stones of the newborn, the infant of God. And Hebrews 5 gives us a warning about getting stuck at this stage. 
Hebrews 5 verse 12, but for by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again. The first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not to solid food. He's actually giving them a hand slap at this point in time. You haven't progressed past infanthood at this point in time. Verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Another translation says those who are mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You just can't uh, skip this stage, friends. It's a vital stage of latching on to the pure milk of the word and getting the first principles of the oracles of God into our lives. By and large, the stage of the five stages, it's marked by ignorance. I just simply don't know. And so I need to learn. You know, the original Greek for disciple means learner. Learner. So as a brand new disciple, you're a learner. You're learning. And uh, this stage, I found in this stage in my life, at this stage, even though I was discipled really well, I had many demonic attacks against my life. Many demonic attacks. That range from physical attacks all the way through to phone calls being made overseas uh, from long-term old connections, wanting to reunite and kindle the flame. All sorts of things happened in my life at this stage to try and put me off the scent of being a follower of Jesus. Because you see, once you start growing friends... The devil starts losing his grip on your life because you're starting to make decisions that are good decisions. You're starting to grow up. Can I hear an amen? So babies are often messy, loud, and they need a lot of care as infants. And so some of the phrases you might hear from them at this stage, do I really need to go to church all the time? I never knew that. Do I need to pray every day? Do, do I need to read the Bible every day? Well, how do I do that? Um, or, or another ignorant phrase is, don't need anybody else, it's just me and Jesus, mate. Me and Jesus, we're, we're sweet. Don't need everybody, anybody else. That's, that's your old life of independence that's starting to show through your phrases. Or another classic one is, uh, man, my wife and I, we just got baptized and then we had this horrendous row on the way home in the car. You know, I thought that Jesus fixed all that when you got baptized. Oh, I wish. <laughs> and so what are the needs at this stage? They need someone to care for them. They need someone to help feed them because they don't know how at this point in time. You can see as you go through these stages how vital it is when somebody becomes a Christian that immediately we have somebody that's caring, discipling, and mentoring them at this stage. Um, they need protection. You know, when I first became a Christian, I had the Mormons knocking at my door. I had the J-Dubs knocking at my door. Um, the first church that I ever got associated with, because I never found Christ going to church, I found him just praying to him in my flat, um, was uh, called, they were called The Church. That was the name. The Church. The Church. And they believed that they were the one true church. And so that's the one that I was going to get baptized into, into that church. And so God let me get stoned. 
and uh, missed my baptism so that I didn't enter into deception. <laughs> Praise God. So don't take that as me. Well, God might let me get stoned too. And uh, <laughs> so at this stage, we call this the sharing stage, and it's a really vital stage. So you as a discipler, you're sharing your life with them. You're sharing the truth of the word with them. You're sharing new habits for them to begin to grow into. Stage three, level three of a child, you're now graduating. This is from the three o'clock to the six o'clock position on your chart. And John advances from infanthood and he says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Interesting. There's a new appreciation. I'm forgiven. My relationship with God is uh, we're connected. We're connected. And so traits of this stage, you're growing in the Lord. You're, you're growing. You've formed relationships with other Christians. You've begun to read Scripture. You can hold a conversation with another Christian because sometimes we speak so much. We speak another language, man. We speak, you know, praise God. Hallelujah. How you going, brother? Glory to Jesus. Have you, have, you, have, you, have you broken through to the third heaven yet? Have you seen great mysteries in the Spirit yet? And we're all going, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's another language called Christianese. And uh, you've got Vietnamese and you've got Christianese. And it's a complete new language that you have to learn. And so they've started relating to other Christians, starting to apply the word. But still, like most children, it's still all about them. Because that's what truly marks childhood. They haven't built an awareness about others at this point in time. And uh, so because they're... They're still fully focused on themselves. They've still got to learn the orientation of focusing on others. And I just want to say at this point in time, you know, you can be a Christian for many, many years, but you can still be down in the lower stages because you've never actually grown past your immaturity and you haven't done the first things first within your life. So um, some of the phrases from this stage is, oh, I don't know if this church is meeting my needs anymore. Um, oh, no, we're not going to split our small group because we're going to stay together forever. Uh, or things like, um, who are all these new people came to church? I liked it better when we all knew each other's names. <laughs> I, you know, and so, or, you know, I, I, I didn't really like the worship today. You know, my gosh, you know, oh, that bass player, oh, he was just shocking today. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Al, just kidding. <laughs> You know, I've been serving in the church for the last month and nobody's taken any notice of me. I'm leaving this church. <laughs> I don't feel appreciated here anymore. <laughs> yes, very mature of you. So the primary needs that we have of, of the child stage is that we need a strong connection and discipleship to grow ourselves. We need to move from uh, a dependency on ourselves to become a dependency on God and learn to become a self-feeder, a self-feeder, so that when your disciple is not around, you can grow and you can begin to advance your life in Christ. Um, we need to build closer friendships with other committed Christians. You know, the Bible's got a lot to say about the company you keep. And I'm talking about the friends that you make uh, I'm not talking about not reaching out to people who don't know Christ, but I'm talking about that the wise will dwell with the wise. Uh, 
And those that become a companion of fools, Proverbs says, will be destroyed. And so it's really important at this stage, and I found myself at this stage as I was growing, that slowly, because I was no longer doing drugs anymore, you know, drugs and, and alcohol, the thing that glues their community together is drugs and alcohol. So you remove the drugs and alcohol out of someone's life and suddenly they don't fit in the scene anymore. And so you slowly lose all your contacts with your old friends. And that's what started happening with me. So I had to build new friends, otherwise I was going to be one of those sad people that was always by themselves and all alone. So, Nigel, no mates. And so we need to learn to trust God at this stage and we need to learn to apply the word rather than being led by your feelings. I don't feel like going to church today. I think I might go to the beach instead. <laughs> and so we've got to learn to rule over our feelings and begin to be led by the power of the Word and the principles of the Word of God. That will build strength into your life. Second to last level is the young adult. We're starting to make some progress here. This is from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock on your chart. 1 John 2. Wonderful piece of scripture here. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Notice that? Spiritual fathers, it's not about knowledge of the scriptures. It's about the knowledge of God. It's about you have experienced God in your life in an ongoing way. You have a lot to offer people when you have that type of connection in your life. And then he says, here's our, here's our stage four, guys. I write to you young men. Why? Because you've overcome the wicked one. Whew, we're making progress. When the tempter comes around knocking on your door, I remember I'd been a Christian for about two months. I was still building friendships. I really did have something exciting and new. And then one of my old, old mates rocked up with a whole dealer, massive bag of marijuana. And then I don't know what happened for the rest of the weekend. It just went in a blur uh, as, I, as I partook of the table of the devil and that weekend and, uh, and, and backslid over that weekend and, and I realized at the end of it all I was so disappointed in myself, I was so upset at myself that temptation could get me so quickly. And you see, this is when you realize that you are growing in Christ is when you can resist temptation when it comes knocking at your door. Remember, the devil knows your greatest weaknesses. He knows them oh so well. And remember, he's had thousands of years of experience of tempting people, and he knows exactly what you're going to pay attention to. And so as, as you've grown into stage four of being a young adult, you're, one of the traits and characteristics that you can see you've grown is that those temptations, when they come knocking, you can defeat them. Praise God. Porn is no longer something that's ruling your mind or ruling your life anymore. Most people now, the stats and research companies are saying 80% of young adults have had their minds infiltrated by online pornography through their smartphones. And so when those images are burned into your brain, 
then that becomes a massive undertaking for you to then exit out of that lifestyle and no longer be ruled by lust and those things where you objectify people in your mind and in your life. And as a result, if you can say no to it, when the temptation comes knocking, guess what? You're growing up. You're growing into the young adult stage. You're moving forward. You're maturing. You're becoming more like Jesus. Do you remember at the start of Jesus' ministry, the devil came to him with three major temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. He came to him. He tested him. He tempted him. But Jesus said with every temptation, it is written. He knew the word. He was able to build his life on the word, and he was able to resist temptation. I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father. You've come into relationship with God. I've written to you, fathers, because you've known Him from the beginning. And then he goes again. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. And listen to this. The Word of God abides in you. Your process of discipleship is bringing the Word of God into your life so it's actually working properly in you. Don't kid yourself by just opening your Bible randomly and just reading a couple of verses that might feed you for a short period of time as a new believer, but you're not going to have what's on board. You're not going to have the word living and abiding in you to defeat the powers of darkness that come knocking on your door. So, they overcame the evil one, they were strong, and the Word of God abides in you. So here's some characteristics to know whether you've graduated to level four. You've made a shift, and this is the major shift. You've made a shift from being focused on self to focusing on others. That's the major shift that happens at this stage. It's no longer all about you anymore. You can now look in your day and with an attitude in your heart, who can I bless today? Who can I minister to today? Who can I be of assistance today? God, here I am. I'm available. Use me to minister into other people's lives. Take a look at how you're praying. Are all your prayer requests for you? Are all your prayer requests about more money, better job, better house? Have a look at your prayer life. Review what you're actually praying. How much of your prayer life is actually directed towards praying specifically for other people? Because there's a litmus test right there in your life. They've started living their lives and reorientating them around the Word of God. They've focused their prayer as, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done as a characteristic. I want the will of God to be done in my life. It's no longer my way, but it's His way. You want to minister to non-Christians. You've got a passion for the lost. You've got a passion for people who don't know Christ. You want to see something happen in their life just like it happened to you. You want to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen? You want to put it into practice. You've got some high energy that's starting to come into your life because you see anyone filled with the Holy Spirit? They've got energy to burn. They just want to. They just want to let it all out. They just want to pour out God upon other people's lives. They're fun people to be around, and they've changed their priorities towards serving other people and not just themselves. So here's some phrases from this stage. You know, I was reading the Word today, and I came across this passage, and God really spoke to me, and I believe this is a word for you. 
Amen. It's no longer about a word just for me. It's about a word for somebody else in their life. Um, I hear the church is doing a missions trip. Man, I want to get on that team. I want to go to Fiji. I want to make sure that I'm cracking the whip with Samu and Susanna, making sure they're doing their job properly over there in Fiji. No, I want to get over there and I want to lay hands on the sick. I want to see the miracles. I want to lead people to Christ. And there's a passion for you to get out of your comfort zone and experience new experiences with God because you've got a fire that started in your belly. You're sharing your faith with your friends and you're keen to learn uh, more. You're offering to pray for the sick, for those that are unwell, and you're believing God for miracles. And so there's massive change going on in our lives at this stage. There's a whole reorientation that's taking place, and we become more other-centered. And you know what? Is that we're actually more concerned at this stage about what God thinks than what people think. The fear of man which brings a snare, is no longer ruling our life. Well, you're entitled to your opinion, and that's fine, but this is what I believe God says in his word, and this is what I'm going to do. And it's a stage of real uh, growth and being upright. What do we need at this stage? At this stage of level four, we need, still need to be coached and mentored. mentored. We need to be breaking down our experiences. You know, when Jesus sent them out, and they came back. Did you know he had report sessions with them? How did it go, boys? What happened? Well, actually, we went to cast the demon out of this guy, but we couldn't do it, and it wouldn't respond to us. And he said, oh, some come not out except by prayer and fasting. So they learned a new, new tool for the toolbox that day. Ah, so I need fasting on board sometimes if I'm going to shift this thing in this person's life. And so we need coaches that will debrief. Uh, they need places to serve. They want places to outwork their faith. And they have a deep, ongoing relationship with people who offer encouragement, but also who offer accountability. They're prepared to be accountable. If you want to grow, you're prepared to be accountable. And, uh, and also, they need help at the stage to identify how God's built them. Spiritual gift assessments, personality types, finding out more about how God's made you so that you can work better and have more equipment on board. Finally, this morning, friends, level five, the spiritual parent stage. Now, you might ask me, James, you've talked about young adult stage, you've talked about child stage, you've talked about infant stage. Why didn't you call this... Why don't you call this, um, can we just go to the um, next graph, or, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you call this stage adult stage instead of parent stage? Because you see, you can still be, you can still be an adult, but not reproducing or multiplying. This is the spiritual parent stage where you're reproducing and multiplying out of your life. So if you want to know if you're up to the spiritual parent stage, then take a look and see if you're producing any children or if there's any multiplication coming out of your life in which you're discipling and mentoring others who have come to the faith. That will probably tell you that you have or have not graduated into this stage of being a spiritual parent. What's the main role of a parent? It's to raise children. Friends, it's to raise children. 
And for the last, I don't know, probably 20 years, this has been most of my journey as a, as a pastor where, you know, I got past, I had to get past that stage, you know, of, you know, wanting to speak in front of 10,000 people and, you know, be the man of faith and power, you know, where you start growing up and you start realizing, hey, it's actually more about what I can impart. It's not, it's not about me displaying my treasures. It's about me helping other people discover the treasure that's already in them. Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? You know, and so we, we become aware at this stage that God wants us to raise children. And 2 Timothy 2.2 is the key scripture here. The things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations. Four generations. I believe any church that has four generations in it is a church that's rocking. Don't tell me how many people you've got on your seats. Tell me if you've got four generations of discipleship. That's Paul committing to other men who will commit to faithful men who will commit to others also. One, two, three, four. Four generations. So if I'm discipling Georgie, and you saw him preach last week, fantastic message, Great message for a first-time preacher. Uh, it's just blown away. I just loved every minute of it. But Georgie then begins to disciple Paris, his brother-in-law, which he's actually doing. And then Paris, who's already been up north where he comes from and has already baptized three people as a new Christian, I just want to get up there, tell them about Jesus. And he says, "What do I, can, can Pastor James can... Pastor James, can, can I baptize people? <laughs> it's like you have to have the special baptism medallion to baptize people. <laughs> and I said, of course you can. Jesus told us to go and make disciples and to baptize them. That means you're a disciple. You can baptize people. He said, what do I need to do? And I said, just make sure they're saved first, okay? <laughs> Make sure you lead them to Christ, that they've received Jesus, they've said, yes, I want to follow Jesus, then you can baptize them. So there's me, generation one, there's Georgie, generation two, there's Paris, generation three, and now Paris has got four generations. Give God a hand this morning. Hallelujah. So here's the traits of someone who's a spiritual parent. They've got a, they're solid in the words. They've got a deep abiding relationship with the Holy Spirit. They are self-feeders. They don't need to be fed, bottle-fed by other people. They can dig into the Word. They can study the Word. They can extract uh, life out of the Word because they've been shown how to. They have a strong desire to mentor and disciple other people. They're, this is what they're praying. They're praying not about their own needs. They're praying, Lord, show me who I can disciple next. Show me who I can input into next. It's about giving away, giving away, mentoring, putting into others. Not just coming to church and hearing another sermon, another sermon. They become other-centered and kingdom-focused. And they've learned to recognize where other believers are at in terms of their growth. And they come alongside and they help them skip up to the next level. Isn't that cool? Who wants to go to the next level this morning, wherever you're at? Give me, show me your hand. Next level Christianity today. So, um, as I finish off uh, this morning, as I sum it all up, 
today. You need to know that you are empowered in this church to go and make disciples. You need to know you don't need permission from me or any of the other leaders in this church to go and input into other people and be a blessing to them. You need to know that you and this church, that as we continue to track with Jesus, there will be a greater expectation on our lives. A greater expectation on our lives. To be authentic followers of Jesus. We're not just going to talk. We're going to walk the talk. We're going to demonstrate and be an example to those around about us of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. I want to read you my final verse today from Philippians. And this is a sad verse. This is a sad verse. This is a reflection of the Apostle Paul at the end of his ministry. Now, if there's any one person I really want to meet in heaven, it's, it's apart from Jesus, it's the Apostle Paul. He was phenomenal. Nothing stopped him from doing the will of God. He was beaten many times physically, bruised, cut, whipped, beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was in the ocean for days on end, shipwrecked. He was bitten by poisonous snakes. He had all manner of persecution against his life. And at the end of his life, this is what he says to the church at Philippi. Chapter 2, verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Timothy was his prized disciple. He had input into Timothy. He'd made Timothy, young Timothy into a champion follower of Jesus. He said, I'm going to send Timothy to you, that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. No internet, no social media, no texting, living hundreds of miles apart. I wonder how my disciples are going at Philippi. I wonder if they're still following Jesus. I wonder if they're still worshipping God. I wonder if they've been taking the bait of Satan and they've slipped off the bandwagon. I wonder what's going on. He says, I'm going to send you my champion disciple, Timothy, because I want to know how you're going. That's the heart of a spiritual parent. They want to know how their kids are going. They want to know how they're doing. And he says, for I have no one like-minded. Here's the sad bit. Even the great apostle Paul had a shortage of disciples. He had a shortage of spiritual parents that he could call on to come and help him do the job. And he said, who will sincerely care for your state? For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. For all seek their own. We say the millennials are the me generation. Let me tell you, the me generation has been around since the Apostle Paul. All seek their own. I have no one like-minded who will care for the flocks. Church, I want to challenge you this morning. As your pastor, as someone that wants to see you advance, I want to challenge you over the course of 2019 to grow through another stage of your discipleship development. Grow to another stage, and this church will grow as you grow. That's why churches grow. Churches grow because we grow. We're becoming more like Jesus.